the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Clients prepare for retirement through the use of insurance and investment products and services. Investment advisory services are offered through appropriately licensed registered investment advisor representatives of its affiliate AAN Wealth Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Well, well, well. How about that? Welcome, my friends. We've got ourselves a day here. What kind of a day do we have? Well, I think a lot of people like to call this, at least if you've been listening to the show for any any time in the last 10 years or so, we've been on AM 1420, The Answer, or 20-plus years that I've been doing Cleveland Radio. I believe we like to call this a free for all Friday. <laughs> Mr. Scream is in rare form. He brought the wife along today to make the coffee. Mrs. Scream, how are you? <laughs> you are outstanding. Wow, we got a great show lined up for you today. You know what else it is? In addition to being a free for all Friday, it is. You better believe a fist bump Friday. Make sure that you bump knuckles with anybody that you see today. I don't care who or where, whether you know them or they're strangers. If you look up at a person and say, it's fist bump Friday and hold your fist up, they will knuckle back. What a great way to spread just a little bit of, I don't know, friendship, camaraderie, uh, geniality, whatever it is you want to call it. It's a nice thing to do in a very, very divided and dark time. So uh, it is Fist Bump Friday, virtual fist bumps to you. Make sure you share those with others. And then let me know how it goes, in all seriousness. Uh, coming up on the program today, we're going to talk to one of our favorite um, Ohio officials. He is uh, State Senator Jerry Serino. Uh, he was one of the co-sponsors of the SAFE Act, which we've been discussing almost all week, and in particular since Wednesday, when the uh, Ohio House played the role. You know, I put this on Twitter last night. It just kind of occurred to me. Those who say uh, that members that 
voted to override Mike DeWine's veto of the SAFE Act or putting kids in harm's way and substituting the government's judgment for the judgment of parents. And the government has no role in this. They like to call us hypocrites because we're the ones who are saying parents have the right to know what their kids are being taught. Parents have the right to know what's going on in schools. Parents have the right to know what kinds of, uh, you know, uh, ideas are being pumped into their kids' heads, what reading materials are available to them. And they're calling us hypocrites for saying, well, the parents have all those rights. Well, then parents should be the ones who decide whether their kids get on puberty blockers and start sterilizing themselves and prepping themselves for surgical mutilation. Leave the parents alone, they say. And my response to that frequently online and on air has been, well, you do know there is something called a Department of Child Protective Services in government, right? Usually at the county level. Probably at the state level, too, but Child Protective Services is who people call when they find out that children are being abused. Teachers, actually, if they see marks on a child that are unexplainable or inexplicable, if you want to be more precise, if they suspect abuse, they are required by law to report to whom that there might be an unsafe home environment for a kid. Um, they're supposed to call and report that unsafe environment and the potential abuse of a child. They have to call the authorities. They call Child Protective Services. The government steps in when parents abuse their kids. The government steps in if it's going on at a different place, at a caregiver, at a at a, a, a nursery or a um, child care center. When kids are being abused, CPS, Child Protective Services, comes into play. So I just put it on Twitter last night. It just kind of struck me. I want to respond to that. I want everybody to respond that way, rather. <clears throat> if you And what I tweeted was yesterday, if y'all have ever heard, and I did, I spelled out y'all. <laughs> why? I don't know why. Why apostrophe A-L-L? Y'all ever heard of Child Protective, Protective Services? On Wednesday in Ohio, that department was staffed by 65 Republican representatives. And that's the message. 65 Ohio Republicans in the state house were working for child protective services on Wednesday when they voted to override Mike DeWine's shameful indefensible veto of the Safe Act to save children from indeed as it is in the acronym experimentation on their bodies that's exactly what this is it's Mengele-esque. It's Frankensteinian. It's it's uh, it's it's impossible to justify. So, sixty-five Republican representatives all were moonlighting on Wednesday, working for the child uh, Department of Child Protective Services. So, anyway, we've been focused on on that a lot since uh, since uh, Wednesday and since the vote. <clears throat> Today we'll talk about it with Jerry Serino, state senator. Yesterday we talked to State Senator Michael Ruley about what it's going to take to get uh, uh, the senators back early, potentially, or at the very, very least, worst-case scenario is to do this on the 24th to make sure that the Senate uh, votes to override as well. And we're going to make sure that things are on the right track there, and we'll talk to him at 9.35. At 10.10, we're going to stay in the political realm with congressional candidate Kevin Coughlin. You probably remember Kevin Coughlin as a former state senator. He left politics back in, like, 2011, I think, is when he left uh, the state state Senate. And now suddenly, 12 years later, I don't know, he's got the itch again. He's running for Congress in Ohio 13. That's Sykes District. 
that is a very important district. It's one that we've had some very good candidates in but never could get any traction whatsoever uh, in that district, <laughs> largely because of the demographics of it. And I'm speaking specifically of uh, my friend Beverly Goldstein, who ran twice in that district. But uh, anyway, Kevin Coughlin's going to be running uh, in the primary, is in the primary uh, fight, and uh, he wants a shot at that district. He says it's a toss-up district. It's listed by certain uh, polling uh, organizations as being a 51-49 toss-up district. So it would be great to get a Republican in that spot. So we'll talk to uh, Jerry Serino. We're going to talk to Kevin Coughlin. And a little bit later on, around 1035-ish, I'm going to give you a little bit of Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen is the host of Takedown. Now, you know he's been taking down predators for over 20 years. He started doing it on NBC at around the turn of the uh, century, uh, shortly after 2000. He's been taking down bad guys for a really long time. Um, that show went on hiatus, and it returned with the company that I do my TV show for, strictly speaking, um, and that is uh, True Blue. And now Chris Hansen hosts Takedown with Chris Hansen, and he is still working with law enforcement agencies around the country, uh, conducting stings and trying to dig inside the minds of these sick twists, these these uh, child predators who are showing up to have sex, to molest underage victims uh, after meeting them online. He's been doing this for so long. Anyway, uh, a special episode of Takedown is available right now on WatchTrueBlue.com, and that is the first ever um, sting suspect that Chris Hansen took down is coming back for a follow-up interview. Usually these guys hide their faces, pull their hoods or hats over their faces. They don't want to be seen. They don't want the humiliation of being caught trying to molest a child by uh, Chris Hansen. <clears throat> And uh, this time, a doctor, a doctor who was one of the busts that Chris Hansen took down, this guy, uh, has come back and agreed to a follow-up interview, a sit-down, and a mea culpa of sorts with Chris Hansen. So it's a fascinating episode. Anyway, we did a deep dive with Chris Hansen to talk about that and his career. I'm going to give you a portion of that just uh, to kind of... uh, I don't know. I find it fascinating. I really do. And I want you to listen to kind of a little bit of what makes Chris tick and about why he does what he does. And then I want you to watch that whole episode of Strictly Speaking uh, with my guest Chris Hansen. So there you go. Two live guests, one kind of on tape delay uh, portion of the uh, interview with uh, Chris Hansen. So that'll be all coming up on the program today. The rest of it, of course, is what I said. It's a free for all Friday at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Before we do any news today, let's get a Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, if you don't mind, put your hand on your heart and stand up and face that flag. Don't forget, I want your picks. I really do. I I. I I apologize I didn't get those posted on the website that I had running that I let expire, but I will put them up on social media. People had been sending me the flag that they uh, pledge to every day, and whether it's on their car, rearview mirror, or whether it's on their you know dashboard or someplace or a sticker up near their windshield if they're driving at this hour, or people at their homes, they've got flags in certain places, but I love it. You sent me a ton of them, uh, and I would love to have access to them. I don't anymore because they were on a, a website that expired, so... I would love to have it. So if you want to send those to me, you can uh, send those to me if you're on Twitter at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z. Just uh, uh, post it on my page or send it to my Facebook page, which is Always Right Radio, or my Truth Social account, which is Always Right W-H-K, anywhere you can find me. But send me those pics of yourself doing the pledge or at least of the flag that you pledge to. 
All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and do that. If you are, I like to always give this admonishment. If you're a poser and a faker and a, not a believer in the liberty because of this country, because you believe in open borders, because you believe, if you're not a believer in protecting children from harm, the, the principles of this flag that represents this great republic are lost upon you. Don't fake it in virtue signal. Just do what you really want to do. Take a knee in anger and resentment toward this country like the, uh, well, the former soccer player and the former quarterback and, you know, all the other Marxists over there. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So, 918 now. Good morning to you. So, uh, it's been a bit since I've talked a lot about Israel. For a good period of time after the horrific terrorist attack on October 7th, we led every show with Israel. That extended into well into November, even a little bit into December, and now we just kind of do it whenever there are new stories about the... Um, uh, you know, about the uh, offensive, well, it's not really an offensive. These I, I like to call them self-defense maneuvers that Israel continues to take in Gaza, and the left continues to scream, cease fire now, cease fire now. Uh, Israel's committing genocide. Israel is, is killing women and children, and all the rest of this trash. Women and children are being killed in Gaza. Palestinian women and children, if you want to call them Palestinians, which is really something that doesn't exist, but whatever you want to call them, they are being killed, it's true. But they're being killed by the actions and the decisions of Hamas, not Israel's IDF, their defense forces. They're the ones hiding among a population of civilians. They're the ones who use them as human shields. They're the ones who are planting bombs and weapons and caches in uh, the basements of hospitals and schools. So that when Israel targets those weapon outposts, uh, there will be collateral damage that they can then say they targeted a hospital and they targeted kids in school. We know the drill. Anyway, hasn't stopped the left from screaming. They even interrupted Biden's ridiculous speech on uh, Monday at uh, at Valley Forge. They even interrupted that with their ceasefire now and, you know, you're committing genocide and all this other crap. They're blocking bridges. They're blocking every bridge and every tunnel entrance into New York City, or into Manhattan, I should say, from around New York City. They're blocking traffic on the Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. They're blocking... Everything they, they're blocking airports. They're they're filling helium balloons at airports like O'Hare in Chicago, and releasing them as planes are coming in for landings. They're putting people's lives in danger to try to distract and to try to shut down airports as well. All in support of a terrorist organization. They're doing this on the floor uh, floors of Congress. They're doing this, we're talking about the Hamas squad, ceasefire now. Israel doesn't get to keep doing this. It wasn't that bad on October 7th, and even if it was, the response has been too out of proportion. Too many people are dying in Gaza. Ceasefire, ceasefire, they scream. And what has been the response of the reasonable, objective person since they've been screaming that? The response is, the last time we had a ceasefire... Hamas killed 1,400 Jews and raped and tortured and took hostages. That's the last time there was a ceasefire. It was on October 6th. 
You see, Hamas will never, let me say it again, never, ever honor or respect a ceasefire. Because Hamas has it written into their charter to literally wipe out the existence of Jews and the Israeli Holy Land that they believe to be their land. They'll never honor a ceasefire. Why would Joe Biden, why would Tony Blinken, why would anybody in the international community go over to Benjamin Netanyahu and say, why don't you guys pull back a little bit? Let's do a ceasefire. Hamas isn't doing anything anymore. You guys stop too. And then we'll have peace. That's, that's been the message. Why would the American policy toward our only democratic ally in the Middle East be so reckless? Yesterday, we found out what we already knew, at least those of us who have been paying attention. This is the idea that Hamas has for a ceasefire. Hamas leader Ismail Haniyeh encouraged Islamic terrorists this week to, quote, build upon the victory that took place on October 7th in which Palestinian terrorists murdered uh, those those 1,400 or so Israelis. Haniyeh made the remarks at a conference of the International Union of Muslim Scholars in Qatar, which is, again, a terror-supporting nation that somehow Joe Biden is all good with being best buddies with. This is verbal jihad, which is jihad by the tongue. But indeed, the time has come for a jihad of the swords, Hanayah said. This is a battle for Jerusalem and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and not the battle of the Palestinian people or Gaza or the people in Gaza. He called the people of Gaza, though, the front-line trench for defense, as well as for offense, saying that they are not there only to defend, but also to attack. Let me say that again. The people of Gaza, the civilians that we're supposed to be worried about collateral damage from, the leader of Hamas says these are fighters. In other words, there are no innocent civilians in Gaza. Gaza contains three types of of people. Hamas fighters, family members and supporters of Hamas fighters, and future Hamas fighters. That's it. The Hamas leader went on to say, and I quote, We must not let this moment slip away. The time has come, O sons of our Islamic nation, O free people of the world, There are very few historic moments like this. Do not let this moment slip away. Our nation and our Islamic scholars have very few historic moments like this. Do not let this moment slip away. Because if it does, we do not know how many decades will pass before such a moment returns. Time is on our side. At the beginning of this aggression, the Americans were waving a big stick in the face of the world and even in the Palestinian, Arab, and Muslim communities in some European countries. Some of the prominent Palestinian and Arab figures were summoned and were told not to raise the Palestinian flag or do anything. And I'll pause there to say, of course they shouldn't. What flag are you representing? There is no Palestine. Continuing, quote, but the language of the same countries has now changed. Why has it changed? Because of the Palestinian steadfastness. Were it not for this steadfastness, the conscience of the world would not have been, cru- would have been crushed. 
Brothers, we should build on this steadfastness. We should hold on to the victory that took place on October 7th and build upon it. Uh, End quote. I'm going to let that linger as I remind you. Left-wing Democrats, absolutely mind-numbed idiots, want Israel to stop going after Hamas, calling for a ceasefire. Hamas just announced to the world, we are still coming for Israel. Apparently, that part doesn't matter. You know where you will not see the, the words that I just shared with you? You know where you will not hear them? You know where you will not hear, see or hear this story? On the mainstream news. Why? Because from the river to the sea, they want Palestine to be free. Because they join the radical, wild, fanatical, savage American leftists that support terror organizations like Hamas, Hezbollah, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and the nation that sponsors and finances all of their activities, the nation of Iran. They back them. They agree with them. They support them. They do not support Israel. They do not support Jews. You will not hear this anywhere else other than in places that are actually sympathetic and compassionate toward the the cause of the Israelis, the victims of the October 7th attack. Hamas has announced, we're still coming. We're going to build on what we started on October 7th. So once again, I remind you, it is not ceasefire we should be calling for in the Middle East. Not ceasefire at all. Let's all join and tell our representatives to tell our foreign uh, diplomats in the State Department to get the message to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel. That message is no ceasefire. We call for increased fire. Increased fire in Gaza. Kill all of them, every single one of the Hamas terrorists and any civilians in in Gaza that support or join or aid or provide assistance to Hamas terrorists, because that makes them, indeed, Hamas terrorists. And if they want uh, any civilians in Gaza to survive, let it be known. Let it be known. They can No Israeli soldier is going to take the innocent life of a civilian if Hamas will simply surrender. Lay down your arms and surrender to IDF forces. Allow yourself to be judged in the courts of Israel. And everybody in in, in Gaza right now will be safe. All right. Had to get all of that out there. It's been a while since we've updated you on the Middle East. And yesterday was a huge update with the the, uh, Hamas leader calling for a build upon the uh, October 7th atrocities. The answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Always right radio on this Friday, the 12th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord 2024. Thanks for being with us. It's 936. Don't forget, we're going to talk to congressional candidate and former state senator Kevin Coughlin. That'll be coming up at uh, 1010 this morning. But Right now, let's get current and talk to a current state senator. Also happens to be one of the co-sponsors of the SAFE Act on the Senate side. Uh, HB 68, as you know, passed overwhelmingly in both chambers of the Ohio General Assembly, vetoed by Mike DeWine, then overridden on Wednesday 
by the uh, the uh, Ohio House. Now we are waiting for Senate President Matt Huffman to get the gang back together to vote to override it in the Senate as well. Senator Jerry Serino joining us on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about that effort. Senator, good morning. Good to have you. How are you, sir? I'm great, Bob. How are you this morning? Doing well. Doing well. Yesterday I uh, got on Twitter and I was just kind of being a little bit flippant. And I, I said, do you ever hear Because I'm seeing all of this you know, Allison Russo and, you know, other other Democrats and the Ohio ACLU and and so many of these these trans activists and so on and so forth screaming that what Ohio's General Assembly is doing here is going to kill kids. It's going to harm kids. Yeah. It's going to deny them of of gender affirming care and and so on and so forth. And and uh, I, I'm just so frustrated by it all. I, 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 I put a flippant tweet out there yesterday that said, y'all ever heard of Child Protective Services? On Wednesday in Ohio, that department was staffed by 65 Republican representatives. Uh, is that accurate? It's, I find it rich that the Democrats and all of their supporting groups are suddenly warming up to the whole concept of parental involvement. Uh, <laughs> when all along they've been keeping, they've been proponents of keeping vital information from parents from the schools uh, tied to their children's behavior, uh, particularly in the gender area. And they've also gone to great lengths, Bob, to um, to shut parents out at school board meetings from having input. So I, I'm just uh, delighted that they're suddenly warming up to the concept of parental involvement. But it's only very convenient uh, warming up uh, at this point because, you know, this, this issue is all about protecting children. Uh, and we in the Republican Party in both the House and the Senate uh, uh, in, in, in Ohio have done a lot of things over the years particularly in the last couple of years, to protect children. Uh, And, you know, again, when we look at parental involvement here, a lot of calls that I've taken from constituents who have asked me not to support uh, the uh, the override um, are are looking to rely on the medical community. And and let's just, and I don't want to besmirch the entire medical community, but let's look at a couple of things, Bob. Uh, First of all, uh, the medical community got a lot of things wrong when it came to COVID, right? And we could spend an hour talking about some of that. But the medical community, including medical schools, have become extremely woke. Uh, and I think to to look to them to guide parents in making decisions and how to deal with gender dysphoria, for example, um, I think is something that we have to go at with a great deal of caution. And to the extent that, you know, we have seen lobbyists for the OBGYN physicians, the pediatric physicians, and other groups who have been lobbying the legislature for months now uh, in order to, uh, to, uh, to not pass this bill and not override the veto. Um, and, and I don't think they're being objective about it because research suggests that uh, it, research actually does not support medical uh, intervention for gender-confused minors, and that's what this bill is all about, and that's what our override will be all about. We're talking to Ohio State Senator Jerry Serino. His uh, body is going to come back on the 24th. You know, I talked to uh, Senator Rooley yesterday. Uh, he said there was a conference call or two in which you guys discussed possibly getting everybody back early, but he said nothing firm on that. Or is, is, it, is that possible still, Senator Serino, or are we talking the 24th? I think we're talking the 24th. I do not expect uh, us to get in any sooner. This was a, a scheduled um, uh, event for us to be in session on the 24th. Right. Um, and I think, uh, I think give, given that uh, the governor has taken at least some executive order actions 
uh, which are somewhat consistent, very consistent in a couple cases with the intent of the bill uh, in the first place. I think uh, there's no harm in waiting until the 24th. We we need to make sure that we have all the right parties there. Uh, and right. the people did have some other other events scheduled for themselves sure, uh, during this sure. time. So I think we'll be in on the 24th, and all indications are this will very likely be an extremely partisan vote, uh, as was the original Senate bill that brought us to this point. Uh, but uh, I there was I, only one I'm senator confident. who uh, there was only one senator voted no, right? When the Safe Act came before you, it was Nathan Manning, I think, unless there was somebody uh, else. Yes, I, I I believe that's correct. I believe that's correct. And I, I even talked with Nathan; he's a good man. I don't know what he's what he's planning to do with this, but um, I I think there's no question that uh, the uh, Senate majority uh, will be able to have the votes to uh, override the veto. And again, I I, I do want to say, Bob, if I could. You know, there's been a lot of name calling on both sides of the issue here, and and that's probably because it's a very passionate issue that people feel strongly about. Um, you know, the the liberals, the Democrats have been calling us Republicans. You know, uh, that we tell, saying that we don't like children and we we, we want children to to commit suicide and all those ridiculous things. Um, and there's been some people calling the governor terrible names as well. And look, I know the governor. I've worked with him on a number of issues. Uh, he's been a very pro-life governor, supported, you know, the issue one issues over the summer. Uh, and um, we just happen to see see this issue differently. And I think we need to be respectful in in how we how we uh, deal with each other. Certainly we can dip, we can have differences, but name calling accomplishes nothing. What we want to do is focus on the issue here and the, 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 the studies that we have seen and studied uh, suggest to us that this bill is the right thing to do. Uh, because, um, you know, dealing with gender dysphoria, with surgical and other sometimes irreversible uh, medical procedures uh, does not seem to be warranted uh, in, in these particular cases. Well, clearly, uh, that last part is true. I'll go back to the governor, though, since you brought it up. Did you talk to him prior to or after, immediately after his veto? Uh, I did not. All right. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I second your... Um, your your call for you know uh, uh, an end to name calling, but I'm not going to be gentle when it comes to what Mike DeWine has done here. This veto and then his subsequent completely hypocritical executive order is indefensible. He vetoed something that, as you pointed out, that the medical research shows and so forth that physical bodily irreversible procedures such as the uh, injection of uh, of uh, hormone blockers you know puberty blockers cross sex hormones and then prepping for bodily mutilation all for a psychiatric condition uh, is is wrong it is it is it is completely wrong and what the governor did by vetoing that to me was it was reprehensible. Um, I, I I've called it evil. I don't know that I would call him as a, a descriptor of him as a person fully evil, but I think that was a, an evil decision. And then the hypocrisy, Senator, is is a week later, he comes out with his executive order. His reasoning for the veto was that the government shouldn't make decisions for kids. The two people who love them the most should, which are the parents. And you just right. pointed out, obviously, you know, the, he's, he's finally coming around that parents should have a say in their kids. But but we are supposed to protect kids from abusive parents. And these types of decisions that are being made on young people are abusive. So then he says, government shouldn't do that. Parents should make these calls. Then his executive order comes out and says, Governor, government, government is banning the surgeries. Not the puberty blockers right, right. and the hormones, but but 
But either the government has a role in this or the government doesn't. He did two completely opposite things there, all, I think, to try to peel off a few of these votes to stop the override from happening. And I find that to be reprehensible. Well, the, the peel-off uh, strategy is not going to happen. It no, it failed. I know. It failed yeah, on the yeah, House. It's it, going to fail on your side. But that was what his effort right, was, right. and, and that, that to right. me is wrong. In fact, he expanded the uh, executive order yesterday uh, by making sure that it was also covering uh, procedures that could be done uh, in physicians' offices. Um, so I don't know if you saw that yesterday, but uh, he's actually expanded on the original executive order that he had uh, here. I did, and I will second my or my statement, or I'll repeat my statement, yeah. that I think that's in an attempt to get a couple of these senators to say, oh, well, if he's doing that, then we don't need to go ahead and override this. That will be good enough. And, of course, we know this has to be legislative. It has to be codified because any governor then who uh, you know follows him can easily you know uh, uh, roll back his executive order with one of their own. And that is, just, like I said, I... I'd like to know what his motivation here is. Does he truly believe well, in, in protecting children or not? I can't tell. Well, just two points I would make on that, Bob. One is that the state uh, takes takes uh, opportunities to protect children in a number of areas. Okay, We have large uh, bureaucracies uh, to protect children, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so it, it is not an unprecedented move for the legislature to step in. And, and take actions that we believe are going to protect children's health and well-being. Okay, uh, the idea that you know states, the state should stay, the government should stay out of uh, this issue is is not supported by by the history of revised code uh, in in policies in the state of Ohio. The other thing I think too is that you know the governor's when the governor went out of his way to talk a lot about the uh, suicide issue, right, which has uh, been brought up by every just about every. Uh, pro-trans uh, group that is out there today. And, you know, there's a bunch of studies, and I've, I've seen them, and uh, have, it's a long list uh, that, that suggests and tells us directly that medical transition procedures have not been shown to reduce transge- transgender suicide. In fact, there's a Swedish study that looked at um, uh, uh, 10 years after sex reassignment surgery that transgender patients were 19 times more likely to die from suicide. So they can criticize the studies. You know, uh, there's studies on both sides of this issue. But all we know is that, that there's, there's enough um, gray, gray area on this subject that, that should suggests that we should be stepping in to protect children from things that could be done, that many of which are irreversible, that actually may cause more problems in the future of that adolescent uh, and when they're in, in adulthood. Uh, that we should take a pause and 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 really understand this better. And let's also realize too that a lot of studies have shown that um, when when adolescents or children are presented with um, gender dysphoria, uh, that through the proper counseling, they generally begin to work this thing through without any intervention uh, through surgery or uh, hormonal uh, treatment. Right, uh, and so. Again, I think um, someone asked me the other day, Bob, uh, why there's been such a dramatic increase in in, uh, in in gender dysphoria. And I think a lot of people have now suggested that in the past decade it's probably related to non-biological factors. You know, social pressure, uh, you know, uh, social media uh, that are making young people more susceptible uh, to considering their gender and their gender options and that sort of thing. 
And we should not be making these permanent decisions in many cases based upon, um, you know, non-biological issues that are bringing these children uh, to this point. Yeah, well, you're you're right about the study, by the way. I have reported on that study many times. I cite it in speeches. I cite it on the air uh, that 19 times, and I always emphasize, that's not 19% higher. That means two times is twice as many. Three times, And you go all that 19 times more likely to commit suicide if they, they, we're talking about people in their 20s uh, who have realized that what they've done is a huge mistake, and the, the adults in their lives failed them. The, the doctors in their lives failed them by allowing them to go through something that they couldn't possibly comprehend at the young preformative uh, brain stages that they were in. And then once they realize what they've done is irreversible and their life life is destroyed, that's when they're taking their own lives. It's horrific. And exactly. It's, it's unconscionable. And, 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 and Bob, if we go back to the medical community, upon which the parents would have to rely, generally speaking, okay, uh, and again, as I said earlier, that you know the uh, OBGYN and pediatric physicians and their groups have been lobbying us not only on this issue, on the trans issue, but they are extremely aggressive in lobbying on behalf of unrestricted abortion. And so, so if, if you know, there, again, I, I, I find it rich that these physicians, many of them, uh, you know, are so concerned about, you know, children, when in fact they have been proponents, very aggressive proponents of abortion up to the point of birth. Uh, and so where is their concern for children? Uh, at this point, uh, it just seems um, it just seems illogical at best uh, for them to take these two counter positions. Well, you, you've um, you've mentioned a couple of times. We're talking to State Senator Jerry Serino. We've got a few more short minutes here with him. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation about how woke the medical industry has become, the medical community and the medical industry. I'll give you an example of it. This is one of the lead stories in the news this morning. Johns Hopkins, one of the leading centers, uh, uh, first of all, medical centers, period, but um, also specifically for transgender surgeries. Johns Hopkins Medical Center is now scrambling after uh, one of their their chief diversity officer, Sharita Hill Golden's uh, uh, memos went out um, describing uh, a privilege. She put out a privilege list in January's issue of Diversity Digest through the Johns Hopkins Medical Center's Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and Health Equity. And among those who have been uh, uh, deemed to have privilege, white people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, which I don't even understand, that just means people, males, Christians, middle or owning class people, in other words, people who own property, uh, middle-aged people, and English-speaking people. If you're one of those, you are among the privileged who are on the hit list, quite frankly, uh, and you have to be taken down because of those who do not have the privilege are suffering from the oppression that these privileged people uh, put upon them. They had to issue, they're scrambling right now, Johns Hopkins is trying to pull that back. They made her apologize, but nonetheless, this is what they believe in the medical community. Right, And, 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 and this is a search for victims, and if you're searching for victims, you will find victims. Uh, and if you have victims, you have to have those who are perpetrating uh, the victimization. And uh, this is a, uh, something that will go on, you know, forever if we, if we don't, uh, you know, uh, get our arms around this. And we're, we're going to be looking in my committee on higher education, we're going to be looking at, at medical schools and uh, some of the woke procedures and processes and policies that they're doing in their admissions uh, as well as in their training. We're going to be looking at that in the course of this year. 
I, I do, Bob. Want have to you looked at Cincinnati, by the way? I'm, I'm sorry, Senator. Since it's, I'm glad yeah. you're going to be doing that. But the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, I'm sure you've seen that in the news over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, Cincinnati Children's Hospital um, has uh, has essentially uh, been caught uh, their hospital coaching their doctors on how to circumvent parents who are wary of trans treatments. They have training videos that have been leaked that have gone viral. Top doctors and officials in, I'm sorry, top officials in the hospital uh, in their heralded transgender health center are caught talking to doctors about how to make sure that parents are um, essentially kept in the dark, lied to about the trans treatments that their kids are going to undergo. So this is going on right here in our state. And so I'm glad that you are going to be looking into this, into the medical uh, we, facilities. We are. In fact, I've actually been informed by somebody uh, within the University of Cincinnati that they've also engaged in activities. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure who the people are exactly to look at ways to skirt around the Supreme Court decision on admissions. A discrimination and so we're, we're going to be looking at all that i do want to mention bob the save women sports act which is the other part of this bill of course uh that that is very important and i i think it, it largely speaks for itself but what it does is it protects women's sports as the name implies and you know look what we're going to see is a bunch of may we're already seeing this in other parts of the country relatively um you know uh lackluster performing male uh, athletes deciding that if they decide they can go uh, compete against women, they can start smashing records left and right. And we've already seen some of that outside yeah. of Ohio. Uh, and everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to break records. Well, if you can do it by 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 some sort of transition process, uh, you have a huge advantage. And we have to protect women's sports. Women uh, and girls in, in, in high school and college spend a lot of time training and sacrificing in order to uh, excel in their sports. This would just be crazy for us to allow to happen, and I'm delighted that this is part of the bill. It doesn't get as much attention as the gender uh, part of the of the bill, but this is very important, and the biggest part of it is that it gives a cause of action to participants if they feel that they have suffered uh, for violations of what's in this bill. And that's going to be a good thing to, to have as a protection. 100% agree. And I'm so glad you brought that up. I've uh, been talking about this for quite some time now, and I always have to come back to it and say, oh, don't forget about saving them in sports. It is extraordinarily important. But you're right. It does take a backseat to these surgeries and these procedures and so on and so forth that are uh, that have been allowed in the, in the state that won't be anymore. But I'm glad you brought it up. Senator Jerry Serino, thank you for the work you do. I appreciate it. Uh, keep us posted on progress as we get toward the 24th, okay? Will do. Thank you, Bob. Have Thanks, a great sir. day. God bless. Have a great weekend. 9.55 will come up on the top of the hour here. On the other side, we're going to stay political. We're going to talk to a congressional candidate. You probably know the name Kevin Coughlin because, or Coughlin. I always do that. Is it like Dan Coughlin, the uh, sp- longtime sportscaster of t- Channel 8, or like Tom Coughlin, the former uh, uh, coach of uh, the uh, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and I think the New York Giants? We'll find out. Anyway. Kevin Coughlin or Coughlin is going to be joining me, a former state senator. Um, he's running for Congress in District 13. We're going to talk to him on the, uh, on the other side of the top of the hour news. Stay here. It's always. But with your help, we're cleaning it up. It's fun, easy, and means so much. Go to greatlakes.org slash adopt and join us on the beach. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. 
or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. It is indeed. Good morning once again. Thanks so much for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. It is Always Right Radio. And guess what day it is? I do believe by checking the calendar that the 12th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord 2024 is a free-for-all Friday! I felt so good about it, I wanted to do it again. Mr. Scream is also feeling it. Um, Don't forget, make this also a fist bump Friday. We'll get to the free-for-all phone calls shortly at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110, but it's a fist bump Friday, too. Don't forget, coworkers, friends, family, strangers, while you're waiting in line for lunch today, I don't care if you look at another person in the face and say, hey, it's fist bump Friday, and hold up your knuckles, you will get the fist bump back, and you'll feel better, and so will they. It's just a nice gesture. Make it happen. Some idiot made Taco Tuesday a thing. I'm making, I'm the idiot who's going to make Fist Bump Friday a thing, and I want to see it everywhere. Put it on your social media, too. All right, thanks to uh, State Senator Jerry Serino. A great conversation uh, with him on uh, hopefully overriding uh, tw- uh, the uh, veto of Mike DeWine on the 24th, the way the House did on uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, I want to pivot now to a former state senator. As a matter of fact, he's also a former state representative who has decided that it's time to get back into politics after about a decade and nearly a half of absence from it. Uh, he was a member of the Ohio House in the 46th District from 97 to 2001. Then he became a member of the Ohio Senate. He held that spot in uh, Ohio 27, 27th uh, uh, Senate District from 2001 till 2010. When 2011 came around, though, he was done. But now he's back looking for a different office. He is uh, Kevin Coughlin. Uh, Kevin Coughlin, former senator, former state representative, and now potentially congressional member. Kevin, good to have you on our program. How are you? Great, Bob. How are you? I'm good. You know, the former uh, Giants coach uh, who spells his name the same way you do was Tom Coughlin. You realize what a mess you're making for me here? Yeah, he got it wrong. He does it the wrong way. I follow I follow the Cleveland Coglins like Dan Coglin. <laughs> That's exactly what I was trying to figure out before. Is he like Dan Coglin or because I've read about you? I don't know if I've ever <laughs> said your name before though, so I wasn't wasn't sure if you were a Coglin or a Coughlin. So if I uh, if I slip up, I do apologize. All right. Um, so let's address the uh, the obvious thing here. You were uh, uh, obviously an elected official in a couple of different uh, uh, positions in the state of Ohio. You took now, what, roughly the last 12, 13 years off of politics, and suddenly you want to get back in and you want to go to, to the swamp. Um, what Did you get by a bit, bu- bit by a bug again, or what made you decide <laughs> to get back again? Well, I'll tell you that the time that I've spent away from politics has been great. Uh, I have been, uh, <laughs> I bet. I started a business. I've been running a marketing business the whole time and uh, uh, helping to finish raising our daughters, and it's been wonderful. But I will tell you that politics has changed a lot uh, during that time. And one thing that hasn't changed is the Congress is still full of people that uh, either want to be famous uh, or just have no interest whatsoever in learning how to be effective and actually showing results and solving problems. Um and, uh, I mean, just look at Congress over the last year, um, and it's been, um, it's, it's been very frustrating to watch, especially if you're looking at the spending, if you're looking at the border, if you're looking at all the things that are facing our country, 
Uh, and no one seems to be serious about actually trying to solve these problems and, and focus on them. And at, at some point, uh, you have to start electing the right kind of leaders who are able to get something done. And um, I was asked by my party to run. Um, and I was hesitant at the beginning because I've been enjoying private life so much. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I really do think that uh, we're in such a, a bad situation in our country, on such a, a, a bad path, even to the point where the idea that America is good is under attack, that we just need to have uh, a cleaning and we need to have uh, people who have a record of getting things done. Yeah, I uh, I don't disagree with that. We do. Um, let's talk about some of those problems you said. Uh, there's a big, yeah. long list of problems in, in Washington right now, and we can talk in general about America not being good anymore, as uh, some people have, have kind of uh, been led to believe. But but how do you prioritize those? Give me top two, three things that if you make it to, to Washington, <laughs> Kevin, um, that, that would be, you know, do you have any committees you would like to be on to address some of those problems? What, do you, what would be your top priorities when you get there? Yeah, my, my top priorities, certainly the, the number one issue is spending. And we've seen, you know, the impact that spending has had over the last couple of years on the, on the cost of our daily lives in, in the form of inflation and everything that we purchase and even, you know, financing being harder to get. Um, we simply cannot continue on the path that we are. When I left the Senate, the Ohio Senate, uh, our our national debt, I believe, was about thirteen or fourteen trillion dollars, and today it's thir- it's thirty three, thirty four trillion dollars. Our annual deficit um, spending is into the tune of two to uh, uh, two to three billion dollars. Trillion dollars? <clears throat> Did I say billion or trillion? I meant trillion. Trill- yeah, two, yeah, it's roughly billion. two trillion deficit. Yeah, that's right. The uh, uh, so the, the 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 point is, we just can't continue on that road, and one of the things we're not doing is passing proper budgets in in Congress. You know, we continue to do these continuing resolutions every quarter or so, and all that does is empower the bureaucrats to keep doing what they're doing with more money. Um, And and I keep seeing out of D.C., particularly this Biden administration, that their plan for everything is more money, but they don't have an actual plan, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's the border – you know, they go up before Congress and they say, well, you just need to give us more money. Well, what do you plan to do with the money? What is your plan? What's your plan for victory? What's your plan for securing the border? What's your plan for fixing legal immigration? There's no plan. It's just give us more money and we'll take care of it. Well, I don't trust them. I don't think the American people trust them anymore. The second issue is the border. Um, uh, you know, it used to be a regional issue. It is now very much a national issue because it's affecting we're, we're all border states now. Yeah. And uh, we've had, you know, just last month, 300,000 people come over the border, uh, the southern border. That's more than the population of Akron and Canton combined. Uh, that is not that is not sustainable. And when you, you have um, abuse of the asylum system, uh, we've just got a lot of reform that needs to be put in place, first of all, to shut down the border and protect it and secure it. Uh, and second, I think we have to stop the abuse of the asylum system, which is what all these people are using when they come over and they end up with a phone and a check and a transport to another city and housing while they wait for their hearing. Uh, and we've got to fix that. And the third issue is getting control of government. Um, in my lifetime, Congress has given away almost all of its power to the federal agencies. And as a result, most of the things that you and I, Bob, think of as laws 
are actually coming from the agencies. They're not coming from the people that have been elected to be there in Washington, D.C. And I think that um, that is um, that's a problem because you don't have proper congressional oversight over the system. Well, I agree with that. Um, we're talking, if you just turned, uh, turned us on this morning, Kevin Coughlin is a former Republican state representative, former Ohio state senator, and now he's a candidate uh, in a primary, which we'll talk about in a minute, too, for Ohio District 13 to go to Congress. I want to marry your first two priorities there, spending and the border together, and give you a little bit of a litmus test here. How do you feel about what Chip Roy recommended last week? Uh, he's so incensed by... Uh, what is being allowed at the border. He, of course, is from Texas, and uh, he's so incensed, he basically is calling for Speaker Mike Johnson to make no deal whatsoever with the, uh, with the Democrats on the, on the budget until the border is closed. In fact, he said, if we don't close the border, then we close the whole government. He's willing to do that, to let the 19th come and go, if that's what it takes. Um, so he's addressing both spending and and uh, the border in the same one fell swoop. Do you like his idea? Well, I, I think, first of all, you have to be willing to shut down the government for your principles. And and that's that's important. You, all, you also can't say that I'm always going to shut down the government if I don't get everything that I want. I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think he's taking a stand, and, and, and the, the Republican majority in the House should take a stand on this particular issue because it it, it is – it is inconceivable to me why anyone in government would sit there and allow this to happen and not stop it. And I, I, I have my, I'm sure you do too, I have my theories about why the Biden administration and why the D.C. Democrats are allowing all of this to happen. Uh, I think they want to get so many people in this country that we can't do anything. We don't have any option but to uh, give them a path to citizenship which, of course, means a path to voting. They're always exactly. looking for ways to maximize their ability to win elections. They're so angry that they didn't get a permanent majority of this country after the Obama years that they've been looking for ways to to, to build that majority. And so, well, well even without voting rights, uh, Kevin, even, even without voting rights, they're getting more seats in Congress because all of these illegals who are, you know, kind of flocking to uh, certain centers, including in California, they have added uh, so many Democrat seats in Democrat areas, I should say. Because, um, as you know, uh, the census just uh, relies on residency, not citizenship, in terms of congressional representation. So they they're 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 trying to essentially increase their numbers in Congress by by allowing all of these people in, whether they get the pathway or not. That's absolutely right. I'm I'm, I'm glad there's people like you and others who see what is happening and call it out. But then you have to take that a step further and do something about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's one thing to call it out, and it's great that we are aware of these things and we're making people aware, but where are the people who are actually trying to fix it? And so I think what Roy is saying is that we we have got to be people of action rather than sit here and talk about the issues, and I, I completely agree with that. I'm going to name two Ohio members of Congress who are very, very different from one another, and tell me which one you are more like, Jim Jordan, Dave Joyce. Well, that's difficult. Uh, Jim Jordan, of course, has endorsed my campaign, and he's going to be coming here in February to do an, an event with us. And, and uh, I, I've served with Jim. He and I are friends. I admire him because he is principled when it is convenient and principled when it is inconvenient, and he's figured out how to balance that with being effective. 
Um, Dave Joyce is highly respected in Congress, and he's a very effective member as well. Um, I'm a conservative. I'm, I'm a principled conservative person. I, I, I hesitate to say who I'd be, who I'm more more like, because I'm, I'm Kevin Coughlin. Uh, I, I don't really. Yeah, you no, know, I get that. By the way, and I didn't mean to. I didn't people. mean to make you you choose one or the other as a, as your favorite yeah. or what have you. I guess I'm more talking about styles. Jim is very vocal. He's very public. He is very much rallying the troops and 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 getting to the people as much as he can. Dave Joyce is very quiet. Uh, does not do a lot of media. Uh, and uh, and quite frankly, his voting record is a little bit different than Jordan's in terms of conservative causes. So I'm more I'm more talking about style rather than you know who who's better. That's not kind of that's not really what I meant. Yeah, and 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 I don't I don't mean to be a cop out on it, but a lot of it is situational and figuring out um, where how where and how you can be effective. To me, what I've learned over the years is the the, the art of being a good legislator, whether you're in the state house, state senate, Congress, is figuring out how to be effective where you are, regardless of the circumstances: majority, minority, uh, veteran, new member. And so each member kind of stakes out for themselves what their um, what 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 their best tactic is to get things done and to get what they want to achieve done. Um, I think both of them have found ways to be effective, and that's their style. Um, I'm going to have my own based on what you know I think I need to do in the moment to be able to deliver for the people of my district and the people of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you know we'll see where that goes. Luckily, we have 14 years of a record uh, to judge me on, and and uh, I, I would hope that people that that uh, still remember, or that people that served with me in the legislature, would know that that um, I was vocal when I needed to be. Uh, I put my head down and worked when I needed to be. I don't think either one of these guys are in the category of I'm there to be famous, but I will say that I, I have no interest whatsoever in going to Congress and trying to secure a podcast or a, or, or a cable news show. Um, I, we, we have members that go to Congress today, and they literally tell their staff, we're not doing public policy, not interested in it at all. Uh, get me on TV. We are a PR office. I have no interest in that whatsoever. Uh, I, I am there to figure out ways to move the ball forward on the things that we care about uh, and to move, you know, turn principle into policy. Well, I hope that wouldn't stop you from uh, appearing on this show. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, you have to get your message out. Yeah, you Abraham do. Lincoln said, uh, "Nothing can nothing can succeed without public sentiment." And uh, I thank you and others for the ability to get the message out and educate voters on what's going on. Let's uh, let's talk about those voters in 13. This is Tim Ryan's house. Uh, it was for a very, very long time. That's his spot. Uh, when it was a vacant spot, it was won by Amelia Sykes by, I don't know, eight points or something like that over Madison Jesse Otto Gilbert. So uh, it's it's kind of a Democrat-heavy district you, you're going to be trying to rip the spot uh, the uh, seat from. Um, what kind of chances do you have to do that? So it's actually a very different district than it was than when Tim Ryan represented it. It's all of Summit, half of Stark, a little bit of Portage County. It's rated as Ohio's only toss-up district. So, uh, you know, the folks over in D.C. say that it's a 51% Republican district, and I'm going to be a little more pessimistic and say it's about a 49% Republican district. Okay. Um, President Trump got 48 in it four years ago. Madison, uh, two years ago, got uh, 47 and a half. Um, look, I, I've got a record of winning um, urban-suburban toss-up districts. I flipped a House seat in the Ohio House. I held a um, 50-50 Senate district with half the city of Akron in it. 
for 10 years in some very bad election cycles. I know how to win these elections. I know how to overperform with Democrats. I know how to win independence and do it as a conservative. Um, And so the formula is there. We know how to win it. I think that in D.C., they will tell you, the Republicans will tell you, this is one of the top 10 pickup opportunities, flip opportunities in the country, and uh, with the right candidate, of course. And um, uh, so I, I expect this is going to be a ground zero race in the in the election cycle of 2024. Yeah, we're, if you just turn us on again, this is a Kevin Coughlin. He is a former uh, state representative, state senator. He's running for Congress in 13. To get to uh, Sykes uh, in that general, there is going to be a primary. What do you know about Chris Banweg and Richard Morkel? Yeah, we've got two people running, two other people running in the primary. Quite frankly, I don't know a whole lot about them. Uh, we've been focused on our campaign. Um, we've got all three county chairs in the district co-chairing the campaign. Jim Jordan and a lot of great conservative leaders are supporting us in organizations. Um, local elected officials are coming on board every day and endorsing. And, you know, we're just focused on that. I don't really uh, – uh, next week I – uh, hope and I'm optimistic that I'll get the support, uh, the endorsement of the Summit County Republican Party, and um, um, we're we're moving and grooving on this campaign. I'm not really paying attention to anybody else. Okay, no, that's fair enough. Like I said, uh, obviously primaries matter though, and uh, you got to get through that part first in order to be able to get into that general election. So obviously, a proven vote getter and a proven uh, race winner like you is going to have an awful lot of appeal to the people of thirteen who are Republicans, who are conservative, most importantly, who want to make sure that we have people going to Congress with a mission uh, and with a uh, with a with a list of priorities that matter, and uh, to try to break that cycle. Are you? Um, are you particularly favorable toward anybody in the presidential race, and will that factor into your uh, into your campaign at all? Um, well, of course, you, you're always you're always running with the top of the ticket and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this district, quite frankly, I'll probably have to outperform the top of the ticket, which is what I had to do to win in the state legislature each time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've endorsed President Trump in this race, and I think that. Um, um, you know, there's three things going on there that go into that. That, and if you'd asked me about a year ago if I thought that the, that President Trump um, <clears throat> was likely to win in November against Joe Biden, I, I, I might have been skeptical about that. But I think that's all changed. And a couple things. Number one, if you look at his performance as president, and you take away the asterisks of of COVID, which of course he didn't cause, um, he managed the economy well, and the world's troublemakers stayed in their boxes for the most part. Agreed. Um, if you look at the weaponization of our justice system to go after a political opponent for what I'm going to call political crimes, I think people view that with disgust and as unfair. And I think there's a circle of wagons um, effect happening right now, rightly so, because that is dangerous for our democracy going forward. Uh, and the third thing is anybody with eyes that watches Joe Biden can see that he should not be the president of the United States. Uh, we, look, we, we've all got people in our families and in our lives who are Joe Biden's age, and we love them. And very, very few of them uh, would we want to be the head of state. Uh, I don't think anybody looks at at, um, at uh, Donald Trump and comes to the same conclusion. So, we, you know, I, I, I feel like we are in a very good position to win with him as our, as our nominee. Uh, and I think that... Um, 
even in this swing district, he is overperforming and, and I believe will overperform with non-white voters um, and uh, do better than he did four years ago here. So I'm going to be proud to fight alongside him. Kevin Coughlin uh, running for Congress in Ohio 13. Uh, it's going to be a battle uh, because, again, it was Tim Ryan's for some time, but he just said it. Uh, it's drawn a little bit differently uh, now, and uh, it's rated as a toss-up district. It would be so great to take that blue seat and turn it red, and maybe a proven vote-getter like Kevin is exactly what we need. Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your vision for what you want to do in that district and what you want to do when you get to Congress if you are successful in doing so. I'm sure we'll have some good, strong dialogue between now and the primary, and more importantly, later in the summer as we get closer to that general election, and I look forward to that. Thanks, Bob. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much. It's good to talk to you, too. That's Kevin Coughlin. It's 1027. We're going to get a time out here. We're going to come back on the other side. You're going to hear from, not live, but you're going to hear from my my guy, Chris Hansen, taking down predators for over 20 years, still doing it. He uh, sat with me on Strictly Speaking for a deep dive into his latest Fix Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. Yes, indeed. That is who we are. That is what we are. Thanks for being with us. Phone lines are going to be open in a bit at 216-901-0945, But I'm going to give you a little taste. Uh, I want you to listen to Chris Hansen. This is uh, a portion of an interview that I did with uh, Chris uh, for my Strictly Speaking show, which you can watch as I've told you before, on uh, on demand at watchtrueblue.com. That's a subscription service. It's four ninety nine a month. It's like nothing, seriously. Netflix is like twenty bucks. This is this is such a better bargain. Anyway, you can get it on demand, or you can watch it free on our fast channels: Roku, Channel five twenty nine. You can watch it on uh, Plex TV. You can watch it on TCL TV Plus. Anyway, uh, strictly speaking, <laughs> we did every excuse me. With Chris, who's been taking down predators, he started doing this back uh, like tw- over 20 years ago now, taking down predators on NBC with To Catch a Predator. Well, Chris is back and catching predators now and has been doing so all across the country, working with law enforcement offices and agencies uh, on a program called Takedown with Chris Hansen, which is on our channel. Chris has a special episode coming up. As a matter of fact, it just dropped. Uh, at True Blue, in which he talks to one of the pervert predators that he was able to take down in a sting, who actually agreed to come back and do a follow-up interview. Most of these people want to disappear when they've been made famous. And by famous, we mean infamous. Taking down bad guys is what Chris Hansen does. He makes them, he humiliates them, he tries to shame them. Two reasons. One, to get inside their brains and learn what drives them to take such risks. And two, to to show other predators, you know what, don't go to that house where there might be a child there waiting for you to be molested, or waiting for you to come in and molest him or her, or it might be Chris Hansen. You don't know if it's a sting. Well, this, the, these people, um, uh, like I said, become shamed, and they hide pretty much forever. This time, there is a doctor who has decided to come back and do a follow-up interview and explain everything that happened to him since his bust at the hands of Chris Hansen. That's the latest episode of uh, Takedown with Chris Hansen that uh, just dropped, like I said, at WatchTrueBlood.com. But my deep-dive interview with him is about his entire career of taking down bad guys. How does it work? Why is it so successful? Why is it so popular? So I'm going to give you a small taste of this because I find it fascinating. It's a, it's a big responsibility, what we do in these investigations. 
and I couldn't do it without a, an incredible team, uh, without a lot of support, and now with you know the ability to embed with law enforcement. So there are a lot of superheroes out there doing this, but I can tell you this, Bob. When I'm out and about, and we were shooting another documentary in Louisiana recently, and multiple characters in this particular story, in this investigation, confided in me that they had been sexually abused as a child. When my wife and I are out to dinner or out about town, we will frequently be approached by people who say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? This happened to me as a kid. Those survivors are the superheroes, right? I do this and I feel that I give survivors and victims a sense of empowerment because they have felt alone, isolated, and vulnerable for many, many years. And because they were vulnerable, they were preyed upon by, by predators who can sense this, whether it's a sexual predator or a financial predator or a violent predator, any kind of predator. And so, you know, I feel like in some respects, we are the equalizers here. And if we can continue to create this awareness and this dialogue that uh, I think is so important that we continue to do with these investigations, I think we can prevent other people from becoming victims of predators. And we can also get inside the mind of a predator. Look, there are a lot of journalists out there and a lot of people trying to do stories like this. And anybody can come out of a back room or from behind the bushes and create 10 seconds of dramatic video. My goal is to get inside these guys' heads, to understand how the mind of a predator works, to get them to talk to me, and more often than not, they do. And I think that's helpful for everybody who sees this to understand why these guys do this. And then we as a society can start to break down the components of this and say, what is this about? How do we solve this? Uh, it's not going away, right? I thought we'd do it two or three times and we'd never have a guy show up in an investigation. Well, 20 years later, guys are walking in and saying, oh, you're Chris Hansen. Damn, I know it was gonna be you. Then why did you come? They come because they can't control the urge. Now, they're not all the same guys. Some guys can be fixed. Some guys can be monitored. Some guys have to go away forever. They're different guys. But I can tell you that the one thing they have in common is this obsession, this goal, this addiction, whatever you want to call it, to have sex with a child. It's like if you tell a heroin addict, there's a 20% chance there's going to be um, you know, uh, poison in your heroin right? They're going to take the heroin anyway because they need the heroin. If there's a 20% chance it's going to be law enforcement or Chris Hansen and a sting, they're going to take the chance because they want to have sex with a child. Yeah, it's, um, it's an amazing thing. I'm going to talk about all of those things, about why they talk to you and about, and about so many other elements of this. But what you said a minute ago, you, you, were, you were very somber in saying you know, these are the real superheroes, the, the survivors of this type of abuse. And I agree with you. And you approach it in that very serious way. And yet this this entity you've created here with Takedown and started with To Catch a Predator is also hilarious. You have legions of fans because they're so funny watching you drilling down on these people and some of these some of these predators or would be predators are just so 
you know, we're not laughing with them, we're laughing at them. Right. But but it's such a weird thing where you're doing good, you you literally are helping people, you're stopping people from from being, you know, victimized and maybe, you know, you take a person like this who doesn't get caught in a sting like yours and he successfully, you know, has one of these encounters and then there's another. How many kids, countless kids after are being stopped because they'll never do this again after he got busted by you. So it's very serious and it's very positive, but yet it's also funny. Do you do you, do you find that I mean how how interesting is that you found something that's pop culturally hilarious but also very very serious and well I, I think it's unique and I think that's one of the reasons why it has resonated with so many people why you know three generations into this we have followers I mean my wife and I go to a birthday party for a 13 year old child of friends of ours and it's like Keith Richards walks into my you know 64th birthday party you know it's it, these kids watch it because uh, there's been so much of it on YouTube and other mm-hmm. social media platforms. So they, people discover it every day, it seems. Uh, in terms of the humor, look, there's no question, Bob, that there's a dark sense of humor to this. And it started from the very first investigation. I mean, you got a guy who walks in, and imagine doing this for the first time. And we're trying to get a system going. We're in a house in Bethpage, Long Island. Uh, we're there for two and a half days. We have security. I have a producer, crew, perverted justice. The online watchdog group at the time was doing the chats uh, online, posing as kids. And the transcripts of the different conversations get all mixed up on the dining room table, right? So by the time the third guy gets there, I have the wrong transcript. <laughs> So I walk out and I said, look, it says right here that you wanted to do blank, blank, and blank with a 12-year-old girl named Suzanne. No, that's not me. Excuse me. I go back. I get another set of transcripts. That's the wrong transcript. <laughs> go back again. And I'm looking at DJ Johnson, the associate producer. I said, are these the right ones? Yes, so I go out there and I said, okay, you came here for a 14-year-old girl named Beth. Yes, that's me. Okay, we can continue. <laughs> this is a true story. It's all on video, by the way. The stories that Chris had to tell are absolutely fascinating. I just wanted to give you a little bit of a taste of it because his, uh, my, our, our coworker and, and the owner of uh, True Blue <clears throat> and our CEO, Sean, introduced Chris uh, at a recent function that we had as a superhero because he has he's literally saved thousands of kids from being victimized by taking Lord knows how many hundreds, if not over the years, thousands of, of predators off of the, you know, scaring them away from ever doing this again by busting them in such ways. And um, I asked him about being a superhero, and that's when he described, he said, no, the superheroes are the kids who survive these encounters. And it's so very true. But the the... The conversation is a fascinating one, so it's on Strictly Speaking. It'll air again today live for free on uh, Roku, uh, Channel 529, if you have a Roku device or a Roku uh, uh, television or the Roku app. It'll air this afternoon uh, at around 4 o'clock, and then uh, it's that's on the Fast Channels on Roku, TCL Plus TV, or TV Plus, and uh, Plex TV. And then you can watch it anytime on demand at WatchTrueBlue.com if you are a subscriber. So I just wanted to share that with you. I think it'll be something you'll be very... And if you drive high, law enforcement can definitely tell. You drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay, 1051, let's get a few phone calls in. We've got uh, Jack Windsor, by the way, scheduled to join us after the top of the hour. Jack is uh, 
uh, in, uh, well, I'll let him tell you what he's doing a little bit later on, uh, but uh, we get him for a bonus spot today. He's uh, he's uh, He was on with us, I think, on Tuesday. Was it on Tuesday before the override? I think it was. Anyway, but uh, we've got him for a bonus spot today. He's got a couple of other gr- uh, big stories that he wants to discuss with us. We're looking forward to that. Right now, though, we'll go to the phones, and we'll go down to Akron. That's where Tanya is hanging out and waiting on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Tanya. Hey, Bob. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Welcome. Welcome. I'm so happy to hear that we're finally going to have someone running in my district that's not a Democrat and not afraid to run against a Democrat. Privileged family. So it was that was good news. Yeah, it is. And I think I think as he said at the beginning, you know, this is somebody who's who who's done it. You know what I mean? He knows how to win elections. He's 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 won twice and and in fact multiple times, but he's been in two different positions uh in the Ohio Senate and in the Ohio State House. So yeah, um I I really like the idea of an experience. That's not to say I don't want new blood in politics. I absolutely do. But sometimes when there's a vulnerable seat like this, you want to go with an experienced hand, somebody who knows how to win elections, somebody who's got the name recognition uh, that can really do that. And in Congress is going to be fought and scratched for because it's such a slim majority we hold right now. I like the idea of a, of a veteran like Kevin Coughlin coming in here. Well, I like the idea that um, he has the bravery to go against a a popular black family in Ohio, because I'm, you know, the privilege of if your father's in politics, your mother's in politics, the next thing it becomes a family business. And mm-hmm. if you know anything about Akron, it's become a family business. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. But my biggest thing is I'm hoping that. The GOP of Summit County supports them because we know that they don't. They're moving into their new offices. Hopefully, they're going to be closer to people that are going to be more active. People can get to them and get their signs. You know, you know, become more active in the some the GOP party of Summit County because right now, to me, it's it's very inactive and we lose things in our count in our in our district because of the apathy of the Republican GOP in Summit County. It's ridiculous. I didn't know there was that much apathy down there. And you're right. I don't have my finger on the pulse very much of Summit, uh, at least in terms of the Summit County GOP. So you're saying that they have not been out there to support other Republican candidates that have emerged in the past? Okay. We had a, we had a mayoral race this year and no one from the Republican party, we didn't have a, a Republican on the ballot at all. Yeah, well, that's a problem. Weekend. That's a problem, yeah. That's a problem, okay? Uh, so that, you know, I've been here for a while. I hate to say it that the, not the Trump, but before Trump, I had to go to Wadsworth to get activity in the Republican Party because they would never answer my phone in the Summit County office. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's a huge problem. I I don't know anything about the leadership down there, but uh, I I do know that somebody like Kevin, you know, obviously it's not just Summit County, but somebody like Kevin Coughlin does have a, uh, you know, a pretty strong voice and uh, and again a record of knowing what it takes to win. So maybe that's what will do, what will spur rather than the leadership 
of Summit County and the GOP down there moving to help Kevin, maybe Kevin's presence will spur them into action. You know what I mean? Maybe they just have, haven't felt well, like they've had you know the right person or the right people down there to get it done before. So maybe that's a, maybe that's a benefit for everybody. Yeah, I, I, I was just happy to hear that because I yeah. could get on board with helping him because uh, we need we need our voices and our you know our thoughts, our mindset representatives in this area, not just uh, a democratic you know every you know just because fifty one percent of people here vote democratic doesn't mean they agree with everything. We just don't give them a, a worthy candidate to talk to. Yeah. So. Well, and, you know, the other thing, too, and thank you, Tanya, for the call. I appreciate it. Um, the other thing to point out here just briefly before I move on here is that um, if it is 51, that means the other side is 49. And what Kevin said was is that uh, it, 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 this district is rated as a toss-up that's 51 Republican, 49 Democrat, but they're approaching it on the flip as if, you know, we're still two points behind, which I think is a smart thing to do. But it is a toss-up if it's even close to 50-50. So it can be done with the right candidate and with the right um, a support system behind him. So hopefully uh, that's exactly what we're looking at there with Kevin Coughlin. Thank you, Tanya. Um, Charlie, next, AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Bob. Happy Hi, uh, yeah. Fist, Bump, Fist Bump Friday. Fist Bump Friday. Right and back happy, at you, brother. Thank you. Happy New Year. Hey, I'm calling. You know, I've been watching. I'm very <laughs> impressed with this Vivek. I'm a Trump guy all the way, but Vivek has really, really resonated with me. And I'm just wondering what you think about his strategy. You know, he's he spent $13 million. Nikki Haley spent $68 million. I'm not sure how much uh, DeSantis has, but uh, uh, he's gone to 300 events, 150 podcasts, did all 99 counties three times. He's just doing a whole different thing than normal. And I'm just wondering if it's going to pay off at all, what you think. And, you know, with this big storm coming, how that's going to affect the caucus on Monday because, you know, they got to come out. A lot of old people have to come out in that weather. I'm just wondering what you're thinking. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, I can't answer the question about this strategy until we figure out what the goal is. What do you think? uh, What do you think Vivek Ramaswamy's goal is? Well, you know, he's last week he's come off several times saying they're never going to let Trump win. They're just going to stop him. They want Nikki Haley. He thinks the liberal media and the military complex wants Nikki Haley, and they're going to put her in. And he thinks, you know, I don't know if it's a conspiracy, but this is what he said several times now. I've listened to him. And so I don't know. It's a, it's a strange strategy. But if Trump is eliminated, you know, who is who's the most MAGA person next to yeah. Trump? Well, here's here's the here's the reason I asked you that question before I answered yours. And that is, um, you know, Vivek has not said one word about Donald Trump. Nothing, Uh, nothing about uh, that would make him better than Donald Trump or reason for anybody to vote for him over Donald Trump. Haley and DeSantis have both been willing to say, look, you know, Donald Trump did a great job for us, but it is time to move on. We need to do uh, do it differently because of A, B, C, D and E. uh, And that's why I'm the person. Um, Vivek has not done that. Vivek has not shown any indication at all that he wants to catch Donald Trump in the polls and actually beat him. I think he's there as a wingman for Donald Trump. So when you say, you know, what do you think of his strategy? I think his strategy, if his strategy is to become president, it's terrible because he's not, he's not catching up at all. He's, uh, he's so far behind and, and you don't catch the front runner without actually criticizing the front runner and talking about what, dif- what makes you different. 
So I think his whole mm-hmm. mission is to be there to kind of be the spoiler for the other two to make sure that Donald Trump gets there. And I think Donald Trump will reward him, Charlie, with a plum cabinet position or maybe chief of staff, something of something in a very high-profile role like, like that. And then in re- return, uh, he will get Donald Trump's blessing and endorsement in 2028. So that's what I think the Vake's uh, strategy is. Thank you for the call, my friend. I appreciate it. We're going to get a time out here for the top of the hour news. Then we're going to come back and we're going to hear Jack Windsor is going to give us his thoughts. But... Bob. <laughs> Windsor usually isn't going to come up shooting with that, but uh, now he's saying the check's in the mail. Do I trust it, Seth? Do I trust it? Oh, no. Uh, no, I, I say hell no, too. I think we should just tell everybody. No, I, I, I will leave that up to him, uh, uh, but he is still a young man by my standards, so I can throw stones at very few people these days when it comes to age. Jack Windsor is uh, celebrating his birthday weekend by uh, by taking a little road trip, and he uh, told us he was available for a chat from the highway. So, Jack, welcome, and happy early birthday. How are you? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It, it was a treat. Whitney and I are on the road, and we've been listening to your show the the entire time, and she's like, you should call in. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to Bob. Let's see if we can, uh, you know, we'll chat. Chew the fat a little bit since it's Fist Bump Friday and Free For All Friday. Um, we're headed down to Kentucky. Whitney has, uh, she's always an awesome wife, but uh, this birthday weekend she has arranged for us to visit uh, Heaven Hill Distillery, Woodford Distillery, uh, Buffalo Trace Distillery. What is the other one? Uh, Maker's Mark Distillery. So we're hitting the Bourbon Trail. We're going to go see how they make uh, some of the world's finest bourbons here in Kentucky and uh, just relax for the first time in, gosh, it seems like several years. I'll tell you what, man, she is doing you right. That is a fantastic trip That's because uh, I know you're an aficionado, uh, and uh, and that's a, that sounds like a great, great way to relax. So congratulations to the both of you. I hope you have a great weekend. Which day is the birthday, by the way? Is it tomorrow or Sunday? Or it, it's, uh, it's actually the 15th. So, oh, okay, so uh, a little early. Junior and I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we share the, the same birthday, uh, which is awesome. Uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in content of character, not color of skin, and I can't wait till we get back to that in this country. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that no longer applies uh, in this country. I mean, uh, you know, like you said, uh, you, Martin Luther King is no longer the... You know, the, uh, the, the patron saint, I guess, if you will, of equality, that used to be the case. Uh, and people on the left used to cite Dr. Martin Luther King's call for equality, but his call for equality is now outdated. Now it's, it's got to be equity rather than equality. Now it's got to be superiority in numbers to atone for past transgressions and past oppression. So, you know, color of skin, according to the anti-racists who are pretty much running the culture right now, uh, color of skin trumps content of character every step of the way, doesn't it? It does. You know, they hate meritocracy because that totally disrupts the Marxist worldview and uh, the game the system that they're trying to create. Um, and it's interesting. It, uh, I didn't realize until maybe a couple of years ago, I have often, I think we all have repeated that sort of refrain that it's, uh, you know, the content of character, not color of skin. And uh, I happened upon, I don't know, any one of the left-leaning outlets and uh, was reading an opinion piece and the writer basically said, well, yes, of course, this is a line that the radical alt-right uh, racists often repeat, but I thought, well, there's another notch in my belt. I guess I'm in that club too. 
a radical alt-right racist for quoting Martin Luther King Jr. Whoever would have thought that would be a thing um, in, in America. But it is. And, you know, it is, it is so frustra- frustrating. Jack, I mean, here's an example. I'm glad you guys are driving down to Kentucky for the Bourbon Trail rather than flying anywhere because I would hate for you to accidentally get on DEI Airways. Are you paying attention to what is happening with some of the largest aircraft, uh, air carriers uh, in the world, and including those who operate here in the United States, they are hiring intentionally based on the sex and the skin color, not the meritocracy of pilots and air traffic controllers, Jack. It's astounding. Yeah, you know, when I go to a doctor, I want somebody who uh, can recognize my symptoms and not only treat my sickness, but also helps steer me in the right direction of how to live a healthy lifestyle that will prevent that from reoccurring. Uh, so those are getting harder to find. And, you know, when I'm on an airplane, I want somebody who knows how to take off and land the thing. Uh, but listen, we know that white privilege is uh, something that's uh, significant. It is interwoven into our culture. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing that sight privilege is now an issue that the airlines are combating. So they're going to start hiring uh, blind pilots. Um, <laughs> and so I think we can all feel safe now that, uh, that the privilege is being dealt with by the airline. It is uh, <clears throat> it is really astounding. Alaska Air is among those, and I think it's United that is committed to uh, 50% or more of their hiring of, of pilots and, and, and crew in the, in the future, X and whatever their whatever, um, uh, time metric that they have laid out here, have to be females or non-males, I think is how they are actually saying it, and uh, and people of color, which, again, yeah. uh, you know, you're right. When it comes to doctors, when it comes to bus drivers, when it comes to truck drivers, and, yes, when it comes to pilots or train conductors, if you aren't the very best in the business, thousands or maybe more lives are at stake, and uh, it's, it's, too, it's too dangerous to be playing games with diversity, equity, and inclusion over that. It is. And it, I'm going to kind of go back to some things you probably talked about already ad nauseum today, but I think it's important to highlight. Uh, it, it's why it's super important for people like Mike DeWine, who a lot of people say, well, you know, he's old, uh, he's tone deaf, disconnected, and uh, really doesn't recognize that the trans movement is as widespread and it's capturing as many people as it is. Okay, well, that's on him and that's ignorance. But the whole point in that is, look at the slide right like and i don't know how i think there are probably some conservatives or or republicans who say yeah i'm okay if two gay people want to get married and and you just look at where we've gone from there to um now you know now you have to bake me a cake now you have to um allow me to dance naked in front of your kids and now uh, i want to remove you as the parent and indoctrinate your kid into the trans lifestyle so the problem is, Bob, it's all related, right? The, the Marxists don't stop. And I think that uh, the lesson learned with the airlines, the lesson learned with House Bill 68 and the uh, just insane gnashing of teeth we've seen from lawmakers and progressives around Ohio is that you, it has to stop and you, you can't appease. You know, the, the, the time for appeasement is over. The time for, um, you know, exposing reality and stopping it dead in its tracks is now. 
Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. We're talking to Jack Windsor. He is uh, the birthday boy. He is also the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. Uh, he's taken the day uh, to take a trip down to Kentucky for his birthday weekend. He's been kind enough to offer some insights on what's going on here. Since we brought up the trans thing, and uh, it's, that slippery slope is exactly correct, um, I talked to Senator uh, uh, Ruley yesterday and Senator Serino today. They are both uh, have the utmost confidence that they will probably have 26 out of 26 that Nathan Manning, who is uh, was the one no vote on the SAFE Act in the Senate previously, is going to vote for the override when they come back on the 24th. But obviously, as we talked about, I think, Jack, earlier this week, it's frustrating that you have to wait till the 24th to have the vote if they do have it on their first day back, which they better. And then you've got a 90-day window uh, before it actually becomes law and takes effect. So we're still talking about a good four months, four and a half months or so, uh, that parents are going to be able to get their kids grandfathered in if they want to shove them forward into this, uh, uh, you know, into this uh, strange uh, ideology of theirs by trying to get them on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones so that they can have their surgeries when they turn eighteen. Uh, that's 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 a big that's a long time to wait. It is a long time to wait, um, and and maybe I'm too easily uh, I don't know impressed. Uh, and, and by the way, good news uh, that Nathan Manning is, is waking up. I, I don't know, though, someone a lot smarter than me in politics says sometimes it's not that they see the light, it's that they feel the heat. And so uh, maybe his constituents have made him feel the heat. But I talked with Senate President Matt Huffman yesterday on air, and he essentially said what Serino said and what you're saying, that it's coming up on the 24th. They are going to, he said, we need 20. We're going to have more than 20. That's how he put it. Um, so I'm I'm grateful to hear that it will uh, likely be 26. And frankly, if it's not 26, I talked to Riley Gaines two nights ago, actually sent texts back and forth. And, you know, she was very adamant. She said Ohioans need to pay attention. The people who are voting no are willing to sacrifice your kids and willing to sacrifice uh, the protections afforded women, and you need to vote them out. So uh, Ohioans need to pay attention. But listen, it is a little bit disturbing that they're going to have 90 days. And believe you me, um, there are going to be practitioners that are trying to get kids on the cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers because, Bob, we've talked about this too, are for detransitioners because, of course, the activists don't like to talk about that or acknowledge that, or desisters, the people who start down and they go, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to do it at all. I don't know what those numbers are, but I can tell you that based on a court case in Hamilton County, that Cincinnati Children's Hospital, 100% of the time when they engage kids, They start them on the process, and your concern is mine. Once the pills are in the body, once they start the process, if the mantra is repeated long enough, the only way to be happy, healthy, and alive is to continue down this path. Um, You know, whether they're 16 now, they'll be 18 in two years, and I think that number is pretty high. Uh, The kids who are turning into adults are going to have breasts cut off, penises cut off, or uteruses torn out. Yep, hundred percent agree, Jack. Um, and and that is uh, that is my biggest concern here. And uh, obviously, like I said, there's going to be a longer period of time now for them to do that. Hey, last thing, Jack. Um, <clears throat> you're not a lawyer, but I'm going to ask you to play one on the radio. You just cited one court case, so I'm going to ask you for a prediction on how things go in the courts in the state when the heart, or excuse me, the Harpy Law, when the Safe Act and the Saving Women Sports Act, which are in this HB 68, when they do override and become law. And they run headlong into uh, issue one, which, of course, is now the constitutional law, a constitutional amendment that is law uh, that allows people to do that, uh, individuals to 
uh, do whatever they want with their quote-unquote reproductive health, um, regardless of what age they are, because these are going to be in direct conflict with one another, the uh, SAFE Act, and uh, when it becomes the SAFE law and uh, and this new constitutional amendment. It's going to hit the courts. Do you have any uh, any way of predicting what you think will happen? Yeah, so we are staying at the Holiday Inn Express tonight, so I can play a lawyer <laughs> on the radio. Um, thanks, Whitney. Uh, so a couple of things. I think it's important to remind listeners that Democrats said no, Issue one is not about that. It's not about limitless abortion or allowing minors to do such things. Well, um, they've already started, uh, you know, parceling out the, the legislation, and it, it, it's dealing with exactly what we said. Now, the thing that it doesn't do um, is, is exactly what you're concerned about. And the reason that it doesn't do that is that that allows some of these lawmakers to save face. So Planned Parenthood, the ACLU will take up the cause in court. Um, I don't know. I do have an attorney friend that I talked to last week, and he said something that resonated with me. He said, um, Sharon Kennedy at the Ohio Supreme Court, I don't think would allow that to happen. I believe that the case will be brought. I think that they're already probably venue shopping. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, I had to be educated on that. That's uh, a liberal person saying, okay, where are the liberal judges? Where can we bring this lawsuit? Where will there be a favorable ruling? So that stuff's already happening, right? They're already creating cause. Um, I don't know. It might be soon or maybe it's going to be one of those situations where they they say, "Okay, um, you know, we're going to play the long game here and we're going to wait until the radicals, uh, you know, take back the Ohio Supreme Court, because ultimately I think that's where the case is going to end up. And uh, as a conservative, I do like our chances right now. Yeah, I do, too. Um, I, I don't know how that works, though. How often are the seats up for grabs, and how can they time it up to the point where they take it to one one uh, district court and then to the next to the next before it finally gets to the Supreme Court? Because these things typically take months, if not years, to work their, yeah. their way all the way through the system with delays and with continuances and so on and so forth. It would be a pretty tough thing to do, I think, anyway, to say, okay, here's how we time it up until we get the, you know, we get the court back. And by the way... I think that may that day may be one that is a very very long time coming for them because again the last time we had statewide elections even though we lost issue 1 and issue 2 when there were statewide elections the conservative and republican candidates won all the statewide offices including yeah. supreme court justices and so you know what I mean it it would be one yeah. real difficult thing for them to try to time it up and then actually win those races to the point where they have a radical court well, an important point, and, and thank you for shedding light on it, and I totally dropped the ball on it. It might be six months, it might be a year, it might be two years before the Supreme Court hears it. The problem that we'll run into, though, is the problem that uh, that was run into with the heartbeat bill and with other pieces of legislation. It only takes one radical judge below the Supreme Court to stop stop it until, you know, the, so there is the potential that a case would be filed soon. They find a venue and a judge that's favorable to the cause. And then that judge, you know, puts the kibosh and says, he, he, this is no longer in effect. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional, according to, you know, passage of issue one. Um, and uh, that does open the gate again. And unfortunately, if the gate's open for a year or two years until the Supreme Court hears it, then we're right back into, into, into hell. Agreed. 100% right. So this is, um, you know, it's funny. We're celebrating. I, I, I threw some funny tweets up there, uh, you know, with the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And, we're, hey, you know, Ohioans and Ohio children were saved today. 
They were, but they weren't. Steps were taken, but this is still a very long process because the people that we're fighting against here, the ones that want to butcher children, the ones that want to permanently scar these kids, both emotionally, psychologically, and physically, um, they are dedicated to this. They are passionate about this. This, uh, This movement that they've started down the slippery slope, as you say, is not one that they're going to abandon because we passed a little law here. They're going to, they've got a lot of different tools at their disposal, and they're going to drag this out as much as possible, and a lot more kids are going to be harmed. So, you know, while we go ahead and celebrate small victories in the battles, we have to realize that the war is much larger and it, wages, it uh, rages on. It does. And, you know, the human condition, Bob, we're in 2024, and when Jesus was born, they expected him to be a warrior, right, and, and to come and immediately settle the debt and, and make things right. And what he showed was that it was a change of heart and it was uh, interaction and experience and relationship one at a time. And so we have to embrace that as a culture. We have to embrace that as a people and recognize we can win, um, but we have to be strategic about it and recognize that it is the long game and we have to show up every day and get get the victory, celebrate them, but continue to press on and never be apathetic. Jack Windsor, one last topic for you before, since you're on the road uh, right now. You know that I have pretty much sworn off the NFL because of uh, a lot of reasons involving wokeness and so forth, but I don't live in a cave, and I do know that there's something happening tomorrow, and I want to get your your prediction. Um, It's quite a fascinating story. The rookie quarterback out of Ohio State that every Buckeye fan is in love with, C.J. Stroud, who just had a phenomenal rookie season, whose career is launching like a rocket ship right now in front of our very eyes, tomorrow opposed by a guy who six months ago was on his couch because his long and storied and successful Super Bowl championship career was pretty much over. A 38-year-old by the name of Joe Flacco. But tomorrow, the old man looking for one last deep run is going to be facing the young rookie whose career is just at his launching point here. Um, It's a fascinating subplot to the Browns and the Texans tomorrow. How do you see it playing out? Cleveland is wacko for Flacco, and I kind of love it. Uh, It would be poetic justice. If he were to lead them to the promised land, and everyone, who's yeah, but Houston is loud for, guy. but Houston is loud for Stroud. You want you just they so you are. know, Amen. And well, listen, the thing that makes me nervous. You about made me game. do that with your little nursery rhyme. You know that. <laughs> You're gonna love me for it. No. Uh, it, it. It makes me nervous that they're in Houston. Bob, it's simple. Uh, Nico Collins is the guy. Double him. Get 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 your defensive ends out wide. Pressure. Make them dink and dunk and get impatient and throw the ball downfield, intercept it. Cleveland's defense is for real. I, I have the Browns by 10 in Houston tomorrow. Uh, where did Nico Collins go to college? Uh, you just put me on the spot, and I usually know this. Alabama? No. The answer's Michigan. No. The answer's Michigan. Oh, did he go to Michigan? So, so how, would it oh be, how would it be for Browns fans if they get beat in the playoffs by a Buckeye quarterback throwing to a Wolverine receiver? I'm embarrassed, Bob. I didn't. Re- I can't believe I didn't remember that Nico Collins went to that that state up north. Yeah. By the well, way, have you seen Have you seen their head coach? Somebody, if you know a chiropractor, somebody get over there and crack Jim Harbaugh's back. That guy looks like either he has to take a dump or he's like the most misaligned coach I've ever seen. He's got He's got some serious issues. <laughs> 
Jack Windsor isn't even into the uh, into the bourbon trail yet, and he's already uh, he's already dropping those lines. Jack, enjoy your birthday weekend. <laughs> Have a good time. Uh, uh, enjoy. Are you, you going to be able to watch the game while you're doing the bourbon trail, or how's that going to work out? Oh, my wife is aces, of course. She didn't schedule anything for that. 4.30 kickoff, uh, and if she did, I'm canceling it, Bob. There you go. All right, Jack, hey, thanks for coming on, man. Enjoy your trip. You guys yeah. have a great time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, brother. Enjoy. It. All right, there's Jack Windsor uh, dropping in on us from the road down to Kentucky. It's 1128. Uh, we've got open phone. I'm Scott Carr, Bloomberg Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France of The Answer. So Seth is a real downer. Seth, you want to tell everybody what you just told me off the air about your prediction for the uh, Cleveland Browns tomorrow? I guess uh, Browns lose by 20. What the hell's wrong with you? Why do you say that? Uh, well, numerous reasons. One, I think the rookie quarterback is going to throw for like 500 yards. I think Flacco is going to have three interceptions. And I think that uh, it's Cleveland. <laughs> so you're just going to play the schlep rock routine. Woe is us. We always lose. Woe is us. It's always going to go bad. That's basically what your argument is. Has it ever happened before where we won something? We won something, but it was because of LeBron James, of all people. Yeah, and thus not even enjoyable. No. Which is how I still feel about that. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm going to tell you something. Like I said, I have not watched the game very much. I've kind of sworn off of most of the professional sports pretty much all of the professional sports for a variety of reasons. I will not embrace guardianship over Indians. I will not uh, I will not watch the NBA. It is an absolute comedy. It's a joke. And the NFL is the closest one because I'm, I've been a football fan my entire life. But um, I will say that typically and traditionally, rookie quarterbacks don't do well in their first playoff games. Also, typically and traditionally, when you're playing the number one statistically ranked defense in the league in your first ever playoff game as a rookie quarterback, it doesn't go well for you. I think the Browns' defense is very, very, very good, and C.J. Stroud is about to find out what NFL playoff football looks like. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. You and I should be playing out there. They have so many people hurt. You're so... You're so cynical, though. Uh, TJ's in Cleveland. TJ, go ahead, sir. Yeah, hi, Bob. I just want to tell Seth, Stroud couldn't beat Michigan. He ain't going to beat the Browns. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, uh, wow. Boom. Yeah, well but done. The, the reason I called, you know, with all the problems, open borders, uh, sleeper cells, wars, inflation, Sherrod Brown decided to come out and save the republic, I was reading today. He's going after cable companies to settle their differences with the local channels so people can watch the Browns game. Thank you, Sherrod, for saving our republic. You know, and I got a Priorities, tip for, man, priorities. Yeah, and I got a tip for our listener, your listeners, Bob. Go out and buy a digital antenna. Get a good one. You know, don't buy a cheap one, 40 50 bucks. It takes you about a minute to hook it up. You do a quick ch- uh, uh, channel scan, and you're watching the game off your antenna without your cable provider. It works. Wow. There you go. That's that's yeah, a nice way you know, to do like, it. Like I have Dish, and they didn't settle with ME uh, me, uh, TV, and I love that station. You know the old programs. Yeah, it's been months they haven't settled, but I watch it on uh, nineteen two off the cable. I mean off the antenna. You know, just switch to well, you know. That's uh, a good way to do antenna. it. You know, I, I, it's funny. I, I I mean, I don't. I'm just kind of curious as to why the NFL is doing this. They're alienating so many people by putting these games on the pay service Peacock. I I just I'm I'm trying to figure out how does this help your brand? Well, how does well, this help? Yeah, here's the problem, Bob. See, they these cable companies they have to uh, uh, do business with local channels like Channel 19, Channel 5, whatever. Yeah, and they get into a disagreement. They can't make a deal. So then their stations are blacked out. 
you know, yeah, like, know. Uh, you know, like I, for a long time we had on, on dish there, channel 19 wasn't being aired because they were in, you know, uh, uh, negotiations. Yeah, but right, like yeah. I said, that's when I went out and I bought an antenna and it works real fine. And like I said, if you get one of these digital antennas, get a good one, one that has the AC booster you plug in. It's a simple hookup. You plug it in your coax in the back of the TV. You go in your options on your TV and do a channel scan, and you'd be surprised how many channels you get, uh, you know, on the, that digital uh, antenna. And it's not like the old rabbit ears; they come in perfect, crystal clear. All right. Well, there you go. Good advice from TJ. If you want to enjoy the game, that's a good way to do it. Thank you, TJ. Appreciate appreciate your call. Um, let's go to uh, Willoughby. Bob, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Hi, Bob. Go ahead. Hey. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't want to make I don't want to make this a sports show, but I, in the same boat as you, I haven't watched football since the whole kneel down and Colin Kaep- Kaepernick. I can't stand it. Me but too. when Joe Flacco came and we got a quarterback, he, he I could watch him. I'll never watch Deshaun Watson. He shouldn't even be playing football. But he's but Cleveland took him. No one else wanted him. And I will not watch him, but I have been watching Joe Flacco. What a, it's just good to see. Uh, I don't want to make this a race thing, but it's good to see a nice, clean-cut white guy who's been around a long time. Oh, you were doing so man. well. You were doing so well, well man, with that call, Bob. You know I mean, what? I don't know why. Why? Why? why there, are, there aren't clean-cut black quarterbacks? Uh, Come on. I'm trying to think. Oh, I'm trying to think of one. I'm sorry. No, there's, there's, there, there's plenty. I mean, I, you know, look, Deshaun Watson, the criticism of Deshaun Watson should be because of his behavior. And thank you for the call. Should be because of his behavior, because of the, you know, massaging and, and the, you know, essentially forcing himself on these massage therapists and so forth and shopping for new ones all the time. He's disgusting. But he's disgusting because of his behavior. It has nothing to do with his race. Joe Flacco is a classy guy and a success story that's a huge comeback player of the year type of story because of his play, not because of his skin color. Why do you have to ruin a really good call with that? That's not that. No, no, we don't do that around here. You shouldn't do that anywhere. I mean, I, I like good. You know who's a great clean cut quarter? You know who I think might be the most admirable quarterback in the National Football League today? C.J. Stroud. Not because he's a great quarterback or not because he's a Buckeye. Do you see what he wore to his press conference? A t shirt of the crucified Christ, his face with the crown of thorns. And he talked about being a witness for Christ. And he made it publicly known that what he does is bigger than football. It's, he's got a mission to share the word of Christ. That's his, that's his, how, that, and guess what color C.J. Stroud is? You understand what I'm saying here? Don't, don't pollute good messages by saying it's good to have somebody who's this color or that color. I don't give a crap if the people are green. If you're a good person, you're a good person. If you're a bad person, you're a bad person. Don't do that. Don't do that. Sally and Berea. Sally, go right ahead. I say go Browns, but the reason I called was I want to urge all the listeners to contact their state Ohio senators and just say that if they don't override that veto of Trader DeWine, that conservatives will be out for their seats. So um, I don't trust that DeWine won't try to... Get it some somebody that's a little squishy. I um, operate on President Reagan's maxim: trust but verify. 
Right on. I'm happy about the house. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.